Hello, I'm Marit Sleiman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is how to bring your happy back. My guest is Angela Hardy, personal transformation specialist from Johannesburg. Welcome, Angela. Thank you, Mariette. And thanks for spending time with us. To our listeners, after our conversation, Angela will give us her best tips on increasing your happiness, and then I'll offer her a fun question. Angela, you're a personal transformation specialist. Why do people come to you? Well, my clients are generally coming to me to learn how to have a happier, more seamless, more enjoyable, more joyful life. So some of them are suffering from anxiety and depression. Some of them feel as though they don't love themselves. Some of them feel like they're not successful enough, that they're a failure. And they're all looking, as we all are, to have that warm feeling inside where life feels good to have, where it's just wonderful to be alive and we can cruise through it without just being sad and angry and unhappy all the time. Talking about happiness, what do you think makes people happy? There is only one thing that makes anybody anything, and that is what they're doing with their minds. We have this, you know, in the Western society, this misunderstanding that I'll be happier if I have more. If I have that car, if I have that dress, if I go to the shops, if, I have, if I'm entertained, if somebody loves me, if my life is better in some way, if I have the perfect job, if I have something is going right. But the truth of the matter is, happiness is generated in our minds. It's generated through the quality of our thinking. It's generated through what we do with our experiences when we have them, regardless of whether that experience is hard or wonderful. The way that we process that information and the way that we think about our, our experience, that is what creates our well-being, our happiness, even our peace and calm, all created through our, our own thinking and processing. Would you say it's difficult to attain I think that there's this illusion in our society that you could attain it and keep it as a single emotional state at all times. And that is not the nature of the design of the mind. It's not the nature of being human. Is it difficult to attain? No, it's not difficult to attain if you know how. And the how is not difficult to get or to achieve either. It's just, it seems to be a secret to the world for some reason <laughs> because we, we're, we're looking in the wrong place for it. We're looking in the wrong place. It is generated from the inside. And we've heard that, you know, how many times haven't you heard happiness lies within? It's generated from within, you must find it within. And then we run around screaming, where the hell is it? I've been looking, I can't find it. But the truth of the matter is, my husband has this wonderful metaphor. He says, let's say that you're in a room, and the walls of the room are all plastered with this happiness, 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 happiness. But in the middle of the room, you've got the smoke bomb. And you keep pressing the button that sends out the smoke bomb. And the smoke bomb is um, dissatisfaction. The smoke bomb is attachment to things that you can't have. And the smoke bomb is who you think you should be. And the smoke bomb is um, how you process other people's thoughts and feelings and how they come to you. And the smoke bomb is your self-judgment. And the smoke bomb is your 
your sense of who, of, of who you have to be to be enough and you're disallowing your ability to be enough. And it's this constant, you're just pushing on the smoke bomb of proving and fear and angst and depression and unhappiness. And it's just filling the room with smoke. And there is happiness sitting on the walls, just waiting for you to see it. It's like, I'm here, I'm here. But you have to clear the smoke first because you've only got so much airtime available to you in any one moment. And you have to make that airtime available for happiness, to feel happiness, to feel joy, to feel calm, to feel peace. It has to be made available. And the only way to make it available is to not have all of this other stuff on your mind. So how do we go about working with our smoke bombs? So I teach everything basically in the same way. And that is that we have to understand the nature of how our mind creates our feelings. And so to go about working on your smoke bomb, firstly, you have to become somebody who really understands the nature of the mind and the inside-out nature of our experience. And what that means is it feels as though our feelings are generated because something happens from the outside in. Some experience happens. Somebody rams the back of my car or somebody yells at me or I don't get what I want at the shops or whatever the experience is. And it feels like my happy moments come because I bought the perfect dress or somebody told me I was fabulous or I had a good experience. But actually the experience that we have is filtered. And it's filtered through all of our past conditioning, all of our understandings and misunderstandings about how life works and who we are. It's filtered through the thinking that we've used to create our personalities. It's filtered through our belief about whether we are safe, whether we're enough, whether we're acceptable. All of that stuff acts as a filter for our experiences. And so all of our experience, all that our experience is doing is it's giving us a little tap and saying, hey, do you want to think about this? And we're saying, hell yes, I want to think about it, but it's probably not going to be good, the thinking that I do. If I suffer from a lack of happiness and depression or anxiety or fear, it probably is not going to be good. And so then I go and I start thinking. And when I start thinking, down the rabbit hole we go with the nature of thought. And the nature of the design of the mind actually is that if I have a negative thought, the chances are that my next thought is going to be negative as well. And because of the survival pattern of life, we are much more biased towards a negative thought because that's part of how we survive as a human being. So... We've got all this thinking going on da, 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 all the time and we're chasing down negativity most of the time. We're chasing down thinking that doesn't serve us, that doesn't make us happy most of the time. And so in order to not do that, we have to be aware of it and we have to stop that. If my thinking is telling me a story about my non-happiness about my not enoughness or a story about this experience about how I don't like it or it's not okay or it shouldn't be like this then I have to stop that thinking so that I can come back to the natural state of well-being that is peace and calm and I have to have fabulous thoughts in order to feel happy I have to have happy thoughts to feel happy and that's really easy to do if I start paying attention not so easy to stop thinking depending on how far along the rabbit hole we've gone. But if I catch it really early, and I know what it is, I can stop it. If I catch my... Let's say, I, um, let's say I'm driving along the road and somebody cuts me off in the traffic, right? Everyone's had this experience. 
three-fifths of the population want to do their nut and blow up and the rest of the day is completely wasted because they had this terrible experience of some driver being totally inconsiderate and cutting them off. And another two-fifths of the population barely even notice that it happened and they're like cruising along their day and everything is well in the world. How is this possible? It's because the same experience had a different process applied to it, a different thinking applied to it. And so if I'm thinking, oh, how dare that person cut me off? It's so disrespectful. It's so unreasonable. What is this country coming to? And then boom, off I go, potholes and politics and, you know, (laughs) what is life coming to? And all the children of today and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to be unhappy today. But if somebody cuts me off and I'm going, whoa, okay, I'm okay. All right, anyway, what was that that I was thinking about earlier? I'm going to be fine. It just depends on where I put my thinking in the moment. We are only in the feeling, the emotional state that is generated from our thinking in each moment. And the good news with that is that we're only a moment away from new thinking and new feeling as a result. Now that's if you don't think your your thinking is automatic. That's if you're not caught up in this illusion that there's not something you can do about your thinking. I mean, look, we we have 90,000 thoughts a day, they say. It's just this constant yabbity, 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 yabbity paying in the back of our mind. And so that thinking is coming. We can't stop that thinking. But once we've had a thought, do you want to pursue it? And if that thought brings you bad feeling, do you want to let it go? It's the very thing you're practicing when you're meditating. I have thought, but I choose to let it go. So if we're watching our thinking and we see that we've had thinking that makes us feel uncomfortable or thinking that makes us feel less than or thinking that makes us feel anxious or unhappy even as we're just sitting here perfectly calm and sane in the middle of a happy little day no problems going on if our thinking takes us to a place of unhappiness but we notice that we're doing thinking that does that to us we can go whoa 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 i'm not pursuing that thought down the river but if we don't watch it the next thought is going to be unhappy and then unhappier and then unhappiest and off we go down the river of whatever thought takes us to. Well, while I'm there, I don't have airtime available for calm and peace and joy and happiness. Do you think the realization of knowing that this is how it works is enough or does one need techniques or what do you, what do you need to, to change your thinking? You need the realization is enough, but the more you work on awareness, the greater capacity you have to always be aware of the nature of this mind. So when I work with my clients, it's amazing to see when I just teach them the nature of the mind in the first three hours together, I teach them about the nature of the mind. And when they come back to me the next week, it's like the top of their head is blown off And they're already seeing their lives in a different way. They're already feeling more peaceful. They're already feeling more content. They're already feeling happier. Even though the circumstances of their lives have stayed the same. Just with that understanding. But then the the art of it is to always know that this is the nature of the mind. So it's got to be in your capacity to deal all the time with watching the mind in action. So now we start to practice awareness. So if you were to talk about, say, a mindfulness practice, for instance, or a meditation practice, those would be very uh, well-respected and formalized ways of practicing having awareness of what the mind is doing. The mind 
wants to put things into habit. Right? You know that when you first learned to tie your shoelaces, it was nigh on impossible to do. <laughs> but now you can tie your shoelaces and do mathematics and hold a conversation or whatever it is at the same time because it's become automatic. We've put that function into habit. Well, what we haven't realized is that all thinking, not just physical stuff, it's habitualized. And so if you have a thought and you think it often, it becomes the way that your mind thinks about this thing. And it's part of the design of the, of the brain because thinking something original takes a lot of the energy of the brain. It takes 30% of the energy available to really? the brain. Yeah. The brain takes almost 30% of the energy available to the body. And thinking something original takes 30% of the energy of the brain. And all of the rest of the functioning, all of your habitual thinking, all of the physical stuff that you've done a million times, all of the, um, the heart and the bowel and the, the breathing, and that's all been taken care of by the other 70% of the energy that the brain uses up. So it's very, very heavy on the brain to come up with something new in the moment. So if you've had a certain kind of a thinking about who you are or whether you're good enough or that something is bad and that you don't like it, then that's going to be habitualized over time. And then you don't even have to have a thought about something. You're really feeling unhappiness about something. And if you have happy thinking about something, I like this, this makes me happy, this pleases me, that's habitualized over time. And so you don't even have to be thinking, wow, I'm really pleased with this experience, to be feeling happy in the moment. So what we want to do is we want to firstly understand how the mind does that so that we can really work with it ourselves. And then we want to start getting all of these preferences that we've said, I don't like that, I don't like that, that's not okay with me, that makes me unhappy, that makes me sad, that makes me bad, that, that's horrible. And we've got to take these preferences and say, you know what, I'm okay with everything. And we have to really literally retrain the whole body, mind and nervous system to do that. That sounds like hard work. It's not really hard work. Because all we have to do is when we get this preference thing that comes up and we go, oh, that feeling, you know, right mm. there, just below the heart, that feeling that says, I don't like that. All we have to do is notice that feeling and relax. And so we relax in our noticing and we relax in the chat of the mind that says, oh, I don't like that feeling. It's not allowed to have that. I'm not allowed to. I don't want that. And he's doing that deliberately and blah, 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 blah. No, we relax that mind. We say, oh, okay, hey, shame, man. I've noticed that I've got a feeling that comes up when that thing happens. Oh, sorry for me. So full of preferences. <laughs> so full of desire for everything to be different. That's a different conversation. Oh, okay, well, I just relax that mind. I say, okay, mind, it's okay. It's okay that you had a preference. Relax. And my mind goes, oh, okay, I can be a bit calm about that. And then I relax my body because my body's gone, oh, and it's tightened up and my glutes have tightened, my toes have curled under and my Achilles tendons are like, locked down so that I can go and run and get away from this thing. And my shoulders are coming up around my ears and my neck is tightened, my jaw is tightened. And I go, oh, okay, let me relax the body. And as I relax the body, my nervous system is saying, oh, are you saying that's not a problem? And I'm saying, yeah, I'm relaxing. And then I relax my breath. And I start to breathe. If you breathe in and then your breath out goes, and it's at least twice the length of the breath in, that literally reprograms your nervous system. It says you're in sympathetic nervous system response, fight or flight response, but you can't be breathing out like that and be in fight or flight. So we must be okay. 
And your nervous system says, oh, okay, well, I thought I was supposed to be responding as though this thing was an issue. But you're telling me by the breath, you're telling me this is okay, and you're telling me by relaxing your body that this is okay, and you're telling me by not pursuing this jumble of thoughts with your mind that this thing is okay. And you're like, yeah, I'm okay. Just relax, I'm okay. And you relax, and you relax, and you relax, and that does two things. Firstly, it reprograms that nervous system so that when that thing comes up again, it doesn't hit that old preference button that says, I don't like this. And secondly, it distracts you from the I don't like this thinking. I don't like this. And let me go and tell myself a whole long story about how much I don't like this. Well, I'm busy focusing on relaxing now, folks. So I've got no airtime for this big story. You do that enough times each time it comes up. And, well, you know, let's face it, you probably put it in there by doing it 100,000 times. So you might have to do it 100 times to get it out or more. Who knows? But if you do that, you will literally reprogram your mind and body out of that preference and when that thing comes along again it will not hit that little <coughs> emotional pain button or that unhappiness button now you've got airtime to be happy your natural state is actually to be perfectly content and calm and peaceful and possibly even to be available and open for real awe and joy and pleasure of just the breeze coming past you but you have to have airtime for it. So it's more about taking your attention away from all of those things that bother and bother and bother you so that it's available to be present in this moment with the things that are amazing. Mm. Yeah, you often talk about old belief systems mm. and about the sabotage mm. that occurs. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so as we are conditioned through life, we start to say... How does life work? Who do I have to be? How do I get on in order to be safe, in order to be loved, in order to be acceptable, in order to get what I want out of everything, right? And we're young, we're stupid. <laughs> Look, we're still making these ideas up when we're old and stupid, but that's just by the by. <laughs> we're making these ideas of how to get along. And because we are young and stupid and maybe even old and stupid, those ideas aren't always right. And sometimes they're very, they're very damaging to us. And so, for instance, in my life, I had this idea for, that um, the best form of defense is attack. You've heard that expression. That seemed very true for me when I was young. The best form of defense is attack. And since I was extremely sensitive to offense, always sure that the world was out to get me, absolutely convinced that the world was a very dangerous place and I was a victim of constant abuse from it, even though I had a very, very lovely childhood, actually. I was super sensitized to that idea. And because I had that belief that I was basically under attack from the world at any moment, at any time, from any person, and I was super sensitized to it, I was trained to look for that truth. The prover proves what the believer believes. That's the way that the brain works. My brain is always looking to prove, to prove something that I believe to be true. So it was absolutely true for me, and I can obviously go back and cite a thousand occasions where that was true for me through my interpretation of that experience. So the meaning that I'm making in the moment of that experience. And so inside of me, then, I instill this belief, I am unsafe. And when I instill this belief, I am unsafe, everybody's out to get me, my alert comes on. 
Okay, my security system is then constantly watching for, are you out to get me right now? Are you out to get me right now? Am I unsafe in this moment right now? So just look at me skew. And my security system is saying, hey, 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 did you see the way that Mariette looked at you? I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw how she looked at me. Okay, well, what is she thinking? Oh, well, let me just make up all the things that are most hurtful to me about what she might be thinking. And off my little monkey brain goes. She's probably thinking, well, whatever it is, that I'm most afraid she's thinking in this moment. <laughs> she's thinking, Angela, you're talking nonsense and you're rambling right now. Okay, then my mind starts going, da, 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 and off we go into poor quality thinking and that poor quality thinking. If I start thinking, wow, Mariette's looking at me thinking I'm really rambling right now and her guests are thinking, this woman is a fool, that's going to bring my mood down. It's going to take me into survival. And the moment I go into that survival, I've got this belief system coming up. <gasps> You're going to look like a fool. And if that belief system comes up, fear is going to come flooding into my body. My fight or flight system is going to come up and start going, girl, you look like a fool. This is a problem. And then the whole story about what's that going to do for my career and who's going to be, mm. you know, it's all going to start flooding in. And if I'm believing it, then I'm going to get caught by it. But if that moment comes in and says, oh, Mariette's looking at me, what is she looking at me for? And I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if she's thinking I'm rambling. Then I can go, hmm, well, that's a hurtful thought. Am I, am I not rambling? Should I shut up now and leave it at that? So I'll just shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> and you've just asked, answered my next question, which was about fear as an obstacle. Yeah, so... It's, it's very interesting to me that you talk about the nervous system mm. because I think we often think that feelings are feelings yeah. and they're not connected to the... Well, we don't always realize how they're connected to the body. Feelings are chemicals. Mm. Your, your thinking brain is connected to the hypothalamus which tells your body produce these chemicals. And it has no preference as to what chemicals it produces. If you tell it, give me fear, it'll give you fear. If you tell me, give me sadness, it'll give you sadness. If you tell it, give me joy, it'll give you joy. So it doesn't care. Your body doesn't have an opinion about how you're feeling. If you say, I can't cope with life, I don't want to cope with life, this is too hard, it's too hard, I don't know how, to, I don't want to be here, your body will produce depression. Mm. Because it's saying, okay, well, let me give you the chemicals in response to this thinking that will help you to pull the duvet over your head and escape this experience. So your body has no opinion. You have to watch your mind. Your, the thinking that you do tells your body what chemicals to release. The feeling of emotion is a chemical feeling. That's why even when I've changed my thinking, it sometimes takes a while for my emotional state to go away. So I feel an anxious thought. I get a flood of chemicals of anxiety. And then I go, okay, well, I'm not going to pursue anxiety in my thinking, and I take my thinking elsewhere, and I'm starting to think about something else. But the feeling of anxiety will linger for a while, depending on how much chemical I've produced of anxiety. So how quickly I catch that thought. Because those chemicals now have to break down, get used up, or get, get mopped up, basically, filtered through the liver and out the system. So all of our emotional response is a chemical response to our thoughts. And sometimes our thoughts are very clear in our head. We can hear them in our ears, though we are speaking them. And sometimes they are so unconscious that the first thing we know that we've had thinking is that we've got feeling in our body. But it is always generated through thought. And this is like a really, really valuable and important thing to understand. Because if every feeling you have is generated through your thinking, 
And you can learn to watch your thinking and see that you've got preferences thinking and you've got pain thinking and you've got anxiety thinking and you've got thinking that's just you're just generating it when there's nothing going on in this moment. Then you can start to address it and you can start saying, oh, well, actually, I'm fine. Let me just relax and release so that I don't have that preference come up again in the future. I don't have that response come up again in the future. And your nervous system can relearn. Okay, so when this thing happens, she doesn't want me to produce fear after all. Oh, when this thing happens, she doesn't want me to feel irritated after all. Or anxious or angry or whatever. Okay, well then I just won't. I'm being retrained. No fight or flight in response to that stimulation. Thank you very much. And if we don't get this like constant trigger to that fight or flight response, then everything seems very calm while everybody else is losing their stuff. So a practical thing might be perhaps when, when you notice yourself having an unpleasant feeling mm. emotion to to ask yourself what have you just thought mm. you could ask yourself what have i just thought and sometimes you'll know often you'll know because there's this chatter going on mm. and there's a lot of thinking going on mm. and sometimes you won't know you'll just say well i'm just feeling really anxious mm. the most practical thing that i can tell you is this is the nature of the design your body is going to be producing chemicals in response to your thinking you don't have to pursue that thinking, so you don't have to make it bigger. But you're gonna, a thought's going to pop into your mind and your body's going to produce some chemicals in response to it. The most important thing that you can do is not mind. And that's a crazy idea because we're so busy trying to fix. Mm. We're trying to fix it so that we don't have to feel bad or sad. If you didn't mind that, oh, shame... Poor me, I had some thinking, it made me feel really anxious in the moment. Oh, well, that'll pass. And you carried on with your life, it would pass. And you wouldn't give it more airtime, and you wouldn't go down the rabbit hole of more thinking about it, and you wouldn't make the thinking worse. You would just know, okay, I thought up some anxious thinking, that gave me anxious feeling, it'll pass. If I'm aware that I did it, if I don't go back and mess with it some more. I thought up sadness, oh, well. If there's nothing actually sad happening in this moment, then I just thought it up. It's in my imagination. There is nothing to fix in my imagination. It's like you don't wake up in the morning, you've had a dream, created something in your imagination, had some really bad feeling come up with that dream. I don't know about you, but <laughs> yes. oh, I'm in the menopause. The fighting dreams are rife. So I wake up in the morning, I've been fighting. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, I feel all agitated because I've been fighting in my dream. I don't have to fix it. It's made up. So I go, oh, okay. I dreamt, so I feel this agitation, but I know that I'll, it'll pass. Mm. So I just carry on with my day. And in no time at all, that dream has faded. The feeling has, the chemicals of that feeling have passed out of my body or been mopped up by my body. And I feel fine again, even though I had angry fighting dreams. That sounds very doable to me to apply to your everyday life. So if we knew that our imaginary thinking is a dream, we made it up, you don't have to go and fix it. Nine-tenths of the problem with people who suffer from anxiety especially is that they're trying to fix the anxiety. And in the fixing, they're making it worse. And they are genuinely applying a lot of effort and energy to not having that experience. And they're doing pretty well, except that they do that last step, which is they try to fix something that is made up. 
the more you try and fix with the, the thing that you're making up, the more you stay with the thing you're making up, and then you stay with that thinking. And if you try and fix it with logic, you're staying with the thinking. If you try and fix it by not thinking about it, you're staying with the thinking. And if you try and fix it by fixing the outside world, which is actually not the responsible for it in, in the first place, you're staying with the thinking. It's the staying with the thinking that keeps producing these chemicals. If you just got distracted by some other thinking, you would be fine. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. And then I was going to ask you about anger as well. Mm. I'm, I'm sure that relates to this whole process. You know, I used to struggle with anger and I deal with clients and it's so cool to watch people go from being an angry person, my wife's going to leave me, my husband's going to leave me, to not struggling with anger at all ever again without having to manage it, without having to do anything. Because anger is just another misunderstanding or a series of misunderstandings. Like a classical anger misunderstanding would be, it's personal. Well, if it's personal, I have to respond, right? I have to teach them not to treat me like that. And anger makes people hop. So I've learned how to respond with anger. But it's not personal. Life is not personal. What other people do to you, it's not personal, it's about them. So we get caught up in these misunderstandings. We get caught up in the nature of our mind. Our mind says, wow, how dare they? And then we, and we lose ourselves. But if our mind said, oh, wow, they're having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> or they did this thing, even though I told them not to do this thing, but they didn't do it to make me angry, or they didn't do it because they're being disrespectful of me, or they didn't do it because they're trying to hurt me then I wouldn't have to feel angry. I'd be like, you were stupid. Why did you do that? Like, I had a guy who came to see me. His children didn't use to turn the lights off. It used to make him so mad because he told them to turn the lights off. And instead of it being, okay, well, they're kids. They're running from room to room, screaming their heads off, having a wonderful time. Of course, they're not going to remember to turn the light off. In his head, it was, they are disrespecting me. Mm. Of course, he felt angry. On purpose. Angry. On purpose. Mm. They're wasting my money on purpose, of course that's going to lead him to feel angry. Mm. So it's understanding that the meaning that we're making of some experience is creating the feeling that we're having, and anger is just another one of those. Mm. I see people for seven hours, and they stop being angry for the rest of their lives. It's wonderful. Mm. It's quick because it's in the way that they process. It's not, in, it's not their personality. It's not their nature. It's not mm. something that they can't get over. Mm. It's just that they don't know how to process mm. their thinking. That's quite a relief if one has a problem with that. It's wonderful because, you know, if you're angry, you don't have any time for happiness mm. or joy or peace or comfort or relationships or compassion or care or love, which is what we're all looking for. Mm. And then, which role is played by our ability to trust life? This is such an interesting question because I struggled, I battled with this idea of trusting life so much because I felt so unsafe in life, right? And I realized that actually the trick is to know where safety comes from, where our sense of safety comes from. Our sense of safety feels like it comes from not having bad things happen to us, but that's not where it comes from. Our sense of safety actually comes from the nature of the quality of our thought around the things that happen to us. So the irony of it is that if I think that I'm only safe and I can trust life if good things happen to me, but the nature of life is not for only good things to happen to me, so I better get used to that, 
then I will always feel unsafe because the next around the next corner is something that I don't like coming, something that pushes up against those preferences that I have bazillions of, pushes up against my, my belief that it has to look like this so that I'll be okay. But if I know that my safety comes by just being okay regardless of what happens, and that is generated by my, the quality of my thinking, then I can learn to have belief systems that say I'm always okay regardless of what happens. And then we trust that we're okay. You know, if you think back, for instance, money, such a big deal, right? We're all so fearful about money. But if you think back till your early 20s, when you first put yourself out in the world and started earning a living, what did you earn? Oh, Peanuts, yeah. right? Really? Couldn't buy all those things, couldn't have all those fancy holidays, couldn't do anything because you didn't have money the money you have now at our age. We're so fearful. What if I had no money? What if I was living on the kind of income I learned, lived on in my 20s? Were you happy in your 20s? Possibly more happy. It's not the money. So we get caught up in this confusion of where it comes from. And then we get fearful. Oh, you know, but what happens if I lose my job? I won't have that money. What happens if I lose this investment, I won't have money. What happens if, what happens if, what happens if, what, borrowing, borrowing trouble from the future, feeling anxious and unhappy and upset because I'm borrowing Already. fear from the future and nothing's actually happened. Mm. Well, there's been times in your life where you had no money and you were absolutely fine mm. as long as you could feed yourself. So it's the illusion that we have to get rid of of where, where success, where happiness, where safety comes from in order to feel safe. Because if we're looking in the wrong place, we always feel unsafe. And that's the trick. Mm. So, it, does life have my back? Sometimes. Sometimes life is like, give me a good fat shove forward in the direction <laughs> of like, woohoo, what a ride. <laughs> and other times life's saying, I'm sorry, this is a dead end. It doesn't matter what you hoped it would be. It's not ever gonna be that. And it just, <clears throat> that's the nature of life. Seven million, billion people, seven billion people on the planet all trying to get their way, right? <laughs> it means you're not going to always get your way. Mm. That's the nature of life. And one more question. What about responsibility for other people's happiness? Good luck with that. Because if happiness has got to do with my thinking and the way that I process my life, I can't determine that for you. But here's what's really cool about that. When we start to understand that for ourselves and we naturally become more inclined to be peaceful and neutral and compassionate and caring because we're okay ourselves and we have that airtime available for other people and our own level of joy or presence in the world is able to spill over out of us into other people's lives we have the potential to be more helpful for them. It doesn't mean that I can make you happy. I can't even make my clients happy and they pay me good money, right? But I can help you to see something about your thinking and how you're making yourself unhappy. And so it's very interesting because when I have clients that somebody else sends to me, you can hear this kind of interaction between them and how desperately this person wants them 
to be happy because they keep trying to solve the problem for them and they can't solve it and they can't solve it and it gets this very fraught. But for me, I see it differently. I'm saying, well, you know what? I happen to know that your happiness is the, it's just a reflection of the quality of your thinking in this moment, not even forever, just in this moment. And that I know that your thinking in this moment will pass and your feeling in this moment will pass and you'll feel differently in the next moment and in the next moment and in the next moment and that's perfectly okay. And I can help you to see that for yourself and then I can help you to see well, what kind of thinking is making you unhappy in this moment and what kind of belief system is making you unhappy in this moment and what's, what kind of grasping, driving attachment to what isn't is making you unhappy in this moment, then I can help you to see that too. And then you have the potential to be happy too. But I can't make it happen. Mm. And I can't be responsible for it. Yeah. And if I try and be responsible for it, that's just making two of us unhappy. Yeah, then my quality of thinking is not what it should be. Exactly. And now yeah. I'm going downhill. I'm believing your quality of thinking. I'm buying your story about what's happening. Yeah. And I'm falling into this trap of your quality of thinking too. And that's why you'll see it's very interesting when you reach out to somebody and they're the wrong person, they will make your drama bigger and your unhappiness will grow. Oh, that's interesting. But when you reach out to the right person and they ask you about the quality of your thinking or they just sit and they hear you and then they kind of redirect in a little way that is very subtle, you're still being heard, but they're saying, well, tell me about the nature of thought in the moment. Tell me about how you're buying into something that's not true right now. Tell me about what you would like to what you would like to believe to be true. Tell me about what insight you might have about what's going on in your thinking right now. Then you just pop right out of it. And I mean, I have people who they come to their session and they're like, oh, it's terrible. I've had this awful week. I want to off myself. And I'm like, tell me about your thinking. And then within the hour, I say, how do you feel now? And they say, geez, I feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so happy. I'm so fine. Because we haven't bought into their thinking together and I've allowed them to see that they don't have to buy into their thinking either it's really cool mm. thank you where can listeners get more info about your work so you can pop onto my website www.cloud c-l-o-u-d dash nine n-i-n-e I almost couldn't spell nine there for a moment dot <laughs> co dot z-a um, and there's a whole lot about what I do on my website and all the different programs and things that are available for for you and also there is a link to my youtube channel where there's lots of free videos and lots of free learnings to be had that can you know you can use to help yourself if you're not ready to work with me or you can't afford to or whatever the case may be yeah and i also attach the uh, the link of the website to the podcast thank you so much now your three best tips on increasing our happiness practical stuff to do and um, some tips the most practical that I'm going to give you is have you ever heard of a gratuity diary no okay a gratuity diary is it seems like the simplest thing ever but it is so clever actually in what it does so what you do 
is you go through your day and at the end of your day, you write down three to five things for which you are grateful or happy from your day. And when I give this exercise to people, I have to really, really tell them it's not Everest, right? It's the little things. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to have done really super, super well. You don't have to have come to the end of a project. It's the tiniest little things. So let's say, for instance, you're in the supermarket and you have a lovely exchange with somebody in the queue or with, with a teller. And it was, it was nice. It was peaceful. It was charming. It, it was uplifting. You can put that in right or you were going to reach for that chocolate and you knew it wasn't good for you and you were like ah okay well you know what I can resist you could put that in <laughs> I'm grateful for my capacity to resist that or you walked in the park and the sun was shining or the rain was falling and it was lovely you can put that in so you're putting in happiness stuff and you can even use this to put in things that I'm pleased with myself for like what did I do I smiled at somebody I was I said something nice I, I thanked somebody beautifully I I bought the most beautiful gift for somebody whatever little things each day so little stuff don't try and look for big things you won't find them every day the little things for which I can be grateful or for which I can be happy even if I didn't necessarily feel grateful or happy in the moment and you write them down and you write them down every single day without fail and what has to happen to do that is that your brain has to stop looking for them now the nature of the design of the brain is that we get what we're looking for and so if I'm asking my brain to start looking for things that make me happy, looking for things for which I can be grateful for, it's going to turn its attention from all that stuff that I'm feeling irritated and frustrated and angry about and say, wait, 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 I need to look for something to put in my gratuity diary later on. And it starts to pay attention. And instead of dismissing all of that stuff and not even having it on our radar, it becomes front and center. And then we start to see this amazing thing. And that is that our lives are actually pretty damn good. And that these moments of our lives are really quite fantastically beautiful and peaceful and lovely. And then we can have these amazing experiences with people, but we haven't been paying attention in the past. And it retrains your brain to look for those things and to become aware of those things. And as you start to retrain that awareness, it starts to see them more and more. And you start to have this growing experience that actually your life is quite a happy, amazing place. So that's the first thing. Get yourself a, a, a little book, something beautiful and a lovely pen, and write down three to five things every day without fail. The other thing that I suggest you do is something that my husband calls the thought diet. I just love this. I was reading in a book. This guy said he wanted to stop complaining in his mind and out loud bitching and whining and complaining. So he set himself a goal to do it for seven days in a row. And if he missed, if he messed up, he would have to go back and start, it and start day on day one, one again. <laughs> and do you know that it took him a year? We are a complaining nation. We're a complaining machine. It's the habit. We are in the habit of moaning and whining and complaining. And South Africans have gotten worse in the last 30 years about that exponentially so here's the thought diet right when a thought pops into your mind you can't help that first thought that just pops up into your mind uh, potholes right you're on diet you may only eat one thought of potholes <laughs> so as soon as you notice that you've had the uh, potholes uh, politics uh, rain uh, somebody else uh, this is not going according to plan thought 
you put yourself on that diet. You go, oh, oh, okay, I had one thought, no more. And you stop yourself from going down that thought train and adding more cabooses to your train. <laughs> and it is remarkably difficult to do. But you corral your friends and family into helping you. So you tell your friends and family, okay, I'm going on a thought diet. Will you go on one with me? And so my husband and I have this thing. We say, would you like some cheese with that wine? When we start moaning about something. Because we know that if my partner starts moaning, I'm going to start moaning. And then have you ever noticed how you can get into that like downward spiral of whining and whining and it just gets worse and until you do nothing but whine? Mm, thought diet. So go on a thought diet and get your friends and your relations to be on a thought diet with you. And when, when your partner falls off and they haven't noticed, you say to them, would you like some cheese with that wine? <laughs> and they go, oh, thank you very much for letting me know. I didn't even notice mm. I was doing it. Mm. And then see if you can stop it in your own mind too. Stop the whining, stop the complaining, stop the moaning. Because if you're there, you do not have airtime for well-being. So that's the second thing. And then the final thing which I really, really encourage everybody to do is to start a mindfulness practice. Mindfulness is really about paying attention to the present moment and noticing where is my thinking in this present moment? Is it going down the rabbit hole of unhappiness? Can I stop that and just distract myself by something else. I don't have to fight it, I don't have to argue with it, remember it's made up, but can I distract myself with something else? Um, am I being present in what's around me? Am I borrowing trouble from the future while I'm sitting here having the best meal of my life? Am I borrowing old pain and resentment and lack of forgiveness from the past while I'm sitting here in the sunshine in the most beautiful day ever? Where is my mind? Can I get back into my body just in this moment and just be here? So start a mindfulness presence practice and see if you can't do it a thousand times a day. And you know, we all have these little watches that go buzzed on our wrists and set an alarm to get your watch to buzz on your wrist. And every time it goes buzzed, you can just tap it off. And even while you're busy doing something else, you can be mindful of it. Bring your attention present while you're doing that other thing. Even as I'm speaking to you, I can be present in my body, in this room, in this space, with you. So your practice could simply be bringing your attention to where you are. Mm. Bring your attention to the present moment and notice the mind. Awareness is your friend. Awareness is everything. The greater your capacity for awareness of what your mind is getting up to, the greater your capacity for not chasing down that rabbit hole and getting yourself bogged down in it. But it has to start with awareness and the mindfulness practice and a meditation practice is a practice of awareness. So if you're not already meditating and doing mindfulness, they've said it a billion times, <laughs> get your butt into gear and start it up because it is a superpower. And it's more powerful, especially if you understand the point of it, which is to notice what is your mind doing to create happiness or unhappiness? What is the quality of your thinking in this moment? So it's a very practical thing, actually. Very practical, yeah. Thank you. Now for your fun question. Mm. It seems to me the pandemic has led to a lot of work being done in pyjamas. <laughs> Hallelujah for pyjamas and lycra. If you were asked to offer some guidelines on wearing pyjamas to Zoom meetings, what would come up? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say... You must wear your most comfortable pajamas on the bottom half. 
<laughs> and you must make sure to angle your your computer's camera correctly. <laughs> Not to the bottom. Half. Not to the bottom half. <laughs> so from the boobs up or from the table up, wear your fanciest pajamas, preferably with a collar and possibly with a tie, depending on what industry you're in. <laughs> But from the bottom half, definitely, you know, cater, cater to the weather in pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> there have been so many videos doing the rounds. The pajama videos, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Angela, for inspiring us to find more happiness more of the time and explaining how to do it. Mm. Probably wear more pajamas would be the answer to all happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think everyone would agree with that. <laughs> Maybe wear less pajamas. <laughs> Maybe you have no pajamas on the bottom half and you're just like, woohoo! Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. If you found it valuable, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at nine.